Hey everyone, Pastor Brandon here. I want to share an exciting new podcast that I've begun with my friend Dane Bundy. It's called Stage and Story. And in this podcast, we discuss movies from a Christian worldview. So if you like the arts and you like theology, what can be better than putting those together? You can access this podcast through your podcast app. Just search Stage and Story with the and sign, or you can go to the website stageandstory, all spelled out, dot org, stageandstory.org. Click the resource tab and you will see the podcast link. So please go check it out. This is B-Side, I'm Pastor Brandon, the side B of Sunday's sermons. So this Sunday, we looked at the end of Ezekiel, the new temple that Ezekiel saw, and we talked a lot about the presence of God dwelling among us. I get really excited about these things because this is where you really take your Christianity to the next level. It really challenges our preconceptions about who God is and our levels of worthiness or unworthiness. It really puts to the forefront your concept of grace, which, by the way, was the one thing, according to C.S. Lewis, that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. At least I've heard in a story. (laughs) Grace. His presence. I had the pleasure of having a conversation with someone earlier this week who was asking, Hey, you know, I just want to get closer to God. I feel like I've been really busy. I've kind of pushed him off to the side and I've really gone into survival mode where I need to make decisions and I've I've done a lot of these decisions without necessarily trusting in him. But now I'm realizing I'm feeling exhausted. I'm feeling like, man, I miss God. I used to be on fire for him. Pastor Brandon, what can I do? It's a great question. And it's a question that I thought was worth talking about because I don't think there's ever been a time when you perhaps haven't felt that way. Like, how can I get closer to God? There's problems with that, especially in light of what we taught on Sunday, that God is here. The new temple is here. He's also dwelling within us and around us and above us. Like, it's problematic to ask, what can I do? Because the minute we start trying, we start failing. We often struggle with this because we think of grace, that gift that God gives us, as a transaction. You know, grace is something that he gives when I sin and confess. I come to him with my failure, he gives me grace, and it's a transaction. But what we fail to see is that that's actually a very limiting view of grace. See, grace by definition is an endless gift, right? It's a, it's something that God continually gives. We often think that means no matter how many times I sin, the transaction will keep happening as if he has a bank account that will never run dry. But it's never ending in the sense that he's never stopped giving grace. It isn't just given when we need it or ask for it. It never stops flowing. 
Because grace is part of who God is. And if he's with us, that grace is always with us. That's how I like to think of grace, is it's this always moving gift. God is always overflowing with gifts for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. He is a fountain of blessing, a fountain of grace in a world that is full of curse and full of hoarding and greed and stinginess. Our God is doing the opposite in a world that's trying to hoard and collect and save and preserve and protect. God is giving and freely giving and overflowing and pouring. The world is moving in toward itself. We are black holes hungry and desperate for something to feel real. God is moving outward from himself. He made the world. This is part of him making a piece of himself here. He, he's throwing himself out. This is part of the incarnation. Jesus becoming human flesh. He's always coming to us. He's always moving toward us, right? He's always there. How do we get closer to God? The question is asking, what must I do? How must I try? Which works against grace. And any time that we have to work or strive, we will feel tired. We'll feel drained, burnt out, exhausted. Because when it's up to our efforts or our works or our mustering something up, you are going in the opposite direction of God's grace. And if grace is like a fountain, if it's like a river flowing to us and through us and in us, you're fighting the tide. And yeah, that can be draining. So you may have noticed that in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And there he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Here he calls them the works of the flesh are evident. And he names a lot of Gross things, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are the works of the flesh. To be work, to be walking in the flesh is to feel like you need to do something. And all of these works of the flesh are byproducts of us feeling like we have to do something. Just take rivalries, for example. We don't always think of rivalries as a work of the flesh. But think about it. If I have a rivalry with someone, it means that I am working to a certain level of success. And then they are meeting my effort with their work for success, which I am then returning with my work. And then their work. See how it goes back and forth. The works of the flesh, rivalry, but grace is totally different. And so you'll notice how Paul then goes into verse 22, but, but is a contrast, right? So you have the works of the flesh, and now you have the fruit of the spirit. Fruit is a byproduct 
If I am to have the fruit of the Spirit, it means that I am like a tree, which means that I am tapping into something, into soil and into its nutrients and get receiving water and receiving sunshine. And those things I'm receiving as gifts and they are producing fruit in my life. You do not see plants working up a sweat for their fruit. If they simply hang in there and receive the gifts of water, soil, sunshine, and air, they will grow fruit. It's when they lack those things that they suffer. So what if, you know, they were to uproot themselves in search of water? (laughs) They would die in the pursuit, right? It's a ridiculous image. The fruit of the Spirit. This is something that I simply tap my roots into all, and if God is already working in me, my roots are already there. I, I don't have to go somewhere else or work for something else. It's the cessation of my activity wherein lies rest, which the Old Testament called the Sabbath, which is what God did on the seventh day. If we want to live in the fruitful Eden, if we want to have the fruit of the Spirit, if we want to be in the presence of God, It requires our understanding of that kind of rest. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love. I don't work up this love. There is an unending fountain of love already in the Christian Same thing with joy and peace, because these are the components of God himself. If I do not have them, it's because I am not letting him grow and flow through me. I'm still holding on to my works and my efforts. So sometimes we feel bad, though, because we... We stop seeking God, and maybe that means you stop praying, you stop going to church, stop reading your Bible. And so we feel guilty, right? We feel like we owe God something, or we gotta make it up, or He's somehow upset, or that we've let Him down. As soon as we start thinking this way, we're going to have a difficult journey back to this experience of God. He's He hasn't left you just because you have faltered or got busy or are stressed. He hasn't left you. He's with you. He's in you. He's wanting to flow. It's only up to us to let go. And so that's what I shared with this person who had asked. And (laughs) I don't know that it was what they expected to hear, but you could definitely see the wheels turning in the mind and going, That's a very different way of thinking about it. But it's true. It's true. I get closest to God when I can just let go and recognize He is here. The reason I didn't notice it was because I was on the run. That reminds me of Jacob. Do you remember Jacob in Genesis? He angered his brother Esau because he was doing the works of the flesh, right? He's trying to work up becoming somebody else so that he can receive the blessing from his father. Good news, friends. We are already blessed in Christ, so we don't have to work up anything in our flesh to get that blessing. 
But so Jacob doesn't know that. So he is acting in the works of the flesh. Esau wants to kill him because he steals the blessing, right? You remember the story. You can see it in Genesis chapter 27. So Esau wants to kill Jacob. Jacob goes on the run, right? He's, he's running away from home. And then in the middle of his run, he's in the wilderness at night. He finds a rock for a pillow, which which probably means there's a huge rock out in the wilderness and he found refuge in it. He went up into the rock to sleep where he'd be protected from wildlife and bandits and whatnot. Um, and he sleeps there and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder extending from earth to heaven. And he sees angels coming up and down this ladder, right? And he recognizes when he wakes up, he says, oh my goodness, this is the gateway to God. God was here the whole time, and I knew it not. It says in Genesis 28, 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. And I feel like that's us. We're running through life. We're trying to work for blessing. And God is in this place the whole time, but we did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So he sets up a stone in the morning. He calls it Bethel. Friends, that's true. If that was true in the Old Testament for Jacob, it's true for us, especially now that Jesus has come and sent the spirit to us. God is in this place. The question is, did you know it? So sometimes we're trying to look for him. Well, the answer or the way to find him is he's already in this place. And maybe you're struggling with something. Well, he's in that struggle. Maybe you're suffering with something. He's in that suffering. We just didn't know it. Maybe we're having relational problems with some people. Yeah, he's in those problems. We just didn't know it. Maybe our life feels completely boring and mundane. Like it seems like everybody else is having these great worship experiences or they're praying for healing and people are healed or, or they're serving the poor or they're doing these awesome deeds. And I just, I just work and, and try to keep my house in order. And like, but it's the same thing every day. Hey, God is in that place too. You just didn't know it. And what's really cool is that Jesus takes this exact scene in John chapter 1 and he calls himself that ladder. He calls himself that ladder. This is really good. Um, you might remember it. Jesus meets a man named Nathaniel who's very impressed with him because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answers Jesus. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. That is what Jacob saw. The angels of God ascending and descending from heaven to earth on a ladder, 
Jesus is saying they're going to be ascending and descending on me, the son of man. He is the ladder. Jesus is the bridge that's bringing heaven and earth together. They're not separate anymore. Heaven is invading earth because of Jesus and because of his followers. So this is what the Garden of Eden was and why it was so thrilling to be in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't that God made the perfect circumstances. It's that God was present there with the people, with Adam and Eve. Heaven and earth were one. There was no distinction. We can't even comprehend what that's like because it's been separate for for many, many years. But in Jesus, heaven and earth were touching. That's why we say he had a dual nature, that he was fully human and fully God. He's fully earth and fully heaven. He represents both realms and both are completely united in him. That's what a temple is, where heaven and earth are united. He is our temple. And because we are now in him and he is in us, we become extensions of that temple. God is here. We just didn't know it. We become extensions of that temple. Which reminds me of a passage in Ezekiel that we, um, from the Sunday passage, um, Ezekiel 43. Now, not everything I can get to in a single message. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't fit or, you know, you already know, like, Pastor Brandon, you already take an hour. It seems like the last several messages have been like almost an hour each, if not an hour. It's like, yeah, we need to cut that down a little bit. So, um, yeah, here's, here's why it wasn't an hour and a half. <laughs> Uh, Ezekiel 43, remember this is where we saw the glory of God reappearing in this new Jerusalem, this new temple. Because remember earlier in Ezekiel, it had left because the people of God had pushed it out, right? This is our city. There's no room for you. And so his glory left. Now remember, his glory is the Hebrew word kavod, which means substance or weight. So the substance or weight the real, true reality, the density, the singularity, the, the everything comes together here of the whole universe. God, he is returning. Okay. So he's coming through the same East gate. And as, as you already heard on Sunday, um, this is what Jesus did too on the donkey coming in through the East gate to the temple. But so he's coming back. And so so look what Ezekiel sees. Um, he led me, chapter 43, he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And then it enters the temple. Now, what I wanted to point out was that sometimes it's easy for us to keep this um, superstitious or symbolic concept of God as too important. What I'm referring to is the temple or church, even. It's that what made Israel distinct, what made them unique, what made them special from all the other nations was not that they had a temple with a God in it. Every nation had that. What made them unique, what made them distinct, what made them special, what made them set apart from every other nation on the planet 
was the presence of Yahweh. It was that weight, that substance, that kavod, that glory that dwelt among them. That's what set them apart. You may remember it in Exodus chapter 33, how God was just fed up with the Israelites. They'd done the golden calf. He's like, already these people have turned against me. Moses, I will send my angel. He will take you guys in the promised land, but I'm not going. And Moses has a very proper reaction to this. He says, no way, Yahweh. I am not taking your messenger. I'm not accepting your angel. You yourself must go with us. Exodus 33 verse 15. Moses said to Yahweh, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here out of this wilderness. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? That's what makes us distinct, that you are with us. How else do we know that we have found favor in your sight? Yes. How how can we know we found favor in your sight if you are not with us? Yeah? His being with us, his presence, that friends, that's what makes us a temple. And that is what sets us apart. Not that we are a church and we follow certain church rules and we sing certain church songs and we have certain church dress. And you know how Christians can kind of have this image, right? That is fine, but that is not what makes us unique. Any Joe can conform to a system, an image, follow rules Anyone can do that. Those are actually simply works of the flesh. They're works that myself can conjure up. What makes us special, what makes us different and makes us a force in the universe is that God is with us and that wherever we go as his temple, wherever we go, his holiness goes with us. I know that's a radically hard concept. Like you mean when I walk into Stater Brothers or Jensen's or the post office, or I'm at ballet watching my daughter dance. Yes. Yes. Everywhere you go, you're bringing the glory of the God of Israel, the glory of Jesus, the Christ the Holy Spirit within you, the hope of glory, you are bringing that everywhere you go, which makes the ground you're standing on holy ground. If fire in a bush can be called holy ground, God in the bush through fire, then what can God in you do to the ground you're standing on? No, no, don't object. Don't object. If God in a bush can cause Moses to hide his face and take off his sandals, what can God in a human do? That's you and me, friends. We are the temple of God, and I don't know that we realize or take this seriously enough. 
That's what sets us apart. We do not need to flaunt our Christian music, our Christian movies. Those things are fine. They're here for us. But what we need to be promoting is the presence of God in our midst. That is what the world needs. They don't need our ideas. They don't need our culture. They need the Christ living among us. They need to feel the kavod, the substance, the weight of the true eternal life dwelling in us now. That is the living water that will teach us to never thirst again. That, that is what makes us set apart. So my friends, cherish that. Learn to pray in a way that you get in touch with what God is doing in your life. Ask him to open your eyes to see him at work wherever you are. Which leads us to maybe the most challenging part of this concept is that even suffering is sacred. Even this is part of the plan. God is there too. That's harder for us to accept. This this has actually hit my mind because I I just today had a conversation with a friend about this. That, you know, we get irritated with people, especially people that just say things that like, you know, they hurt us or they criticize us or whether they mean to or not. We just feel demeaned. You know, you have that day where at the end you're like, what have I done wrong? (laughs) Where have I failed? Like, why does nothing, why does it seem like everything I've tried to do is collapsed? I mean, you know these feelings. Paul calls it the thorn in his flesh. And, and, you know, people have thought different things, like he had a medical problem or ailment, but I, I believe, and there's many commentators that agree, that the thorn in his flesh was a person or a group of people. Um, partly for thinking that is because God referred to the Canaanites as that they were going to become thorns in the people's sides, or it was their eyes, something. He calls that, he said that they're going to be thorns irritating you if you do not properly eradicate their idolatry in your land. And so there's already this consistency in which the concept of a thorn in your life is a person that's agitating you. Well, you know, whatever it is for Paul, that's what it is for me. You know, there's always someone that just has to make sure that you doubt yourself, right? That you're doing it all wrong. But, but, where there is a thorn, there's always a rose. Where there's a thorn, there's always a rose. Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, I hope I didn't butcher that, but Tchaikovsky, the famous composer, he has a quote that hangs in my office. It says, There are many thorns, but the roses are there too. And it's so true. We feel the thorns, but the roses are there. So, so when we have those thorns in our lives, it can be easy to say, God, why have you abandoned me? Or God, why have you done this to me? Or why have you allowed this to happen? But there's roses there. We're just not seeing them. We're not choosing to open our eyes to see them. God is here. We just didn't notice, right? We just didn't realize. 
It's a Jacob moment. Paul said, he realized that, look, God didn't take this thorn away because he's using it to teach me that where I'm weak, he's strong. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8, God says to Paul, my, here we come full circle, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Why is that true? Why is his grace, why is his power made perfect in our weakness? Because remember, the grace is always there. It's flowing. But we get in the way of it. We blockade it with our works of the flesh. And as long as I'm strong, I'm going to trust in my works, not in the fruit of the Spirit. Who needs that when I can do it, right? But the thorns are there so that his power can be made perfect in weakness, or his grace may flow when we finally have to let go. When we finally have to admit we can't do it. Therefore, Paul concludes, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Suffering helps grow us because it gets us in touch with who we really are in God. When we suffer, we have to let go of who we think we are, or who we're trying to be. We have to admit that our works aren't working. That's the purpose of suffering. It forces us to let go. But when suffering is resisted, it becomes pain. So when we feel the thorn, you can resist it all you want. You can dig and scratch and try to pull it out. We do that to the people in our lives, don't we? Dig and scratch and try to pull them out, rip them out of our lives. But that's only going to inflame the flesh, right? It's only going to irritate the skin. We cannot resist Suffering, it's God's gift to us. Suffering itself isn't necessarily pain. It's when it's resisted that it's pain. Suffering is meant to simply help you to let go, to trust in God's grace, and let it transform you. But it's the loss of control that is the suffering. It's the scary, I don't know what's happening. But if you go with it, you will experience God is here. God is here. God is here. This is what the roses smell like. So, people are people, and anytime we do something courageous for God, anytime we try to create, anytime we try to do something out of the ordinary that's helpful, anytime we just try to be true to what God's doing in our lives, you open yourself up to rejection and criticism. You open yourself up to haters. 
But we must learn not to resist that. Because even there, God is teaching us something. Because he's there. We just didn't know it. And so, so we're kind of bringing all these like conversations of how the people's week, the passage on Sunday, and something I read personally in Psalm 2 the other day. It was yesterday. Um, this is, this is where I want to bring it. It's the Psalm 2. And I, I, what God just really impressed upon me and impressed in me <laughs> was his own reaction to people that are against him. So Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, they're raging, they're plotting, what are they doing? The kings of the earth set themselves, so the powerful people, and the rulers take counsel together. So now they're all coming together, forming this mega alliance against Yahweh and against his anointed which means Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Whoa. So the psalmist opens up by saying, why are the nations upset? Why are they plotting? What's this revolt all about? Then we find out the powerful are teaming up together to figure out a way to come against Yahweh and to overthrow his yoke from off of them. Too bad, because Jesus said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. But they just want nothing to do with God. Why? Because they want to be in charge, right? They want to call the shots. We don't, as humans, we don't like to rely on God. We don't like the fruits of the Spirit. We love the works of the flesh. I did this. I accomplished this. This makes me worthy. So, of course, that's what they're seeking. But here they are. They're coming against God. They're teaming up against him. They're talking about him. They're slandering him. They're, they're trying to oppose him. They're trying to take him down. This is full on revolt. Now, when people do that in our lives, even to a much smaller degree, you and I, we get defensive. We get angry. We want to put these people in their place. We want to tell them who's really right. And we want to prove with a hundred point outline that I'm right and you're wrong and you've misunderstood me this whole time. So therefore apologize. (laughs) This is how we want to approach, right? We want to meet them where they're at and we want to settle the score. But friends, that's not trusting the presence of God. That's not letting the grace flow. That is you trying to work. And Paul would say it's the works of the flesh. What impressed me was how God does respond. It then says in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. (laughs) He laughs. Laughter's amazing response. Because laughter is not, of course, you know, I fabricated a laugh just now, but it's real laughter is not something you fabricate. It's something that is let loose when all is well. When you feel safe, you let it fly. And here, God's response is not panic. It's not Quick guys, let's plot how to get rid of these evildoers or let's plot how to take them down or oh no, my existence is at stake. We got to do something about this. He's not breaking a sweat. In fact, he hasn't even 
stood up. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. God is completely unmoved. He sees what's going on, and rather than taking it personally, he can step aside, look at it, and find the humor in it. He can laugh. Friends, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to look at all of the chaos and all the haters and all the criticizers and the people that drive you nuts, the thorns in your side and the suffering, everything, to be able to step aside and to just laugh. Can you believe it? Look what's happening. The ability to do that takes an immense trust that God is with you. He's among you. He's in you. He's got you. That's the only way you can laugh. Notice that it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Now, of course, that's the dwelling place. Like that's, that's God's sphere, right? The heavens. But remember what we're talking about with temples. It's where heaven and earth come together. And if God is in us, do we not also sit in the heavens? Yes, we do. Ephesians 2 tells us that. That he has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So that means we can laugh at life. We can laugh at what's going on. But we we, we too often take everything too seriously. God's survival is not at stake, friends. Not because of what you did or what someone else did or people's disbelief in him. He's going to be okay. He really is. He laughs at it. And we can too. We don't have to take ourselves too seriously. Take everything people say about us too personally. We can learn to laugh at ourselves and at everything that's going on around us. I think it was C.S. Lewis. I don't remember where this was. um, But he talks about not... The ability to laugh at oneself is a healthy sign. You know, you're not taking yourself too seriously if you can laugh at yourself. And that's something we need to get better at doing. When I take myself too seriously, I get too defensive, and I'm too offended by what people are doing or saying, it's exactly that. I'm trying to be the God here. I'm taking myself too seriously, right? Um, people are coming in some false image of myself. So these are the things I have to let go of and just trust in who I am in God, right? My position in God is who I really am. I just need to trust in that position, not in the one I'm trying to make or create. That again is the works of the flesh. So again, it's about letting go. It's about letting the flow of grace grow and move through us. Grace has never stopped. It's we who stop receiving It's not something that just comes when we ask for it. It's always there. We simply need to let go. We need to stop. We need to rest. We need to sit in the heavenlies. We need to recognize here it is. God's been here the whole time. I just didn't know it. So hopefully that will bring some comfort, some encouragement. Very challenging as well. Guys, we have a big God who lives in us. How? can we not be willing 
to grow out of our puny little self-righteous bubbles or woe is me, I'm the victim, licking our wounds kind of life. Take what comes. You are more than enough to handle it because God who lives within you is infinite. That'll conclude this B-side. This is Pastor Brandon with Grace and Gratitude. Thanks for listening.